Thank you, Craig, for that intro. And um, I guess I, I would go ahead and say that one way you can tell, you can now tell the difference between the two of us is that I'm the one without the mustache. Um, uh, but uh, that can change. Uh, Craig might shave his. I might grow mine back. Um, anyway, so uh, yes, my, my goal here is to go ahead and give um, uh, you know, the background and what treatment, what sort of uh, pathologies you might go ahead and want to go ahead and use these different airway clearance techniques with you. But the really exciting thing about this, for those of you who have a few minutes, is that at the end of the session, um, in the physician lounge up on the fourth floor in CCMC, uh, we've got, I've, I've uh, asked the respiratory therapist to put, to, to bring a lot of these devices and we would go, and it's an opportunity for you to go ahead and feel and see what these things do in person so that when your patients are doing them, you've got a better idea of what's going on with them. And again, it's the, it's the difference between the, again, the theory up here and the practice um, and the actuality. So I really would invite you to just come up for like five to 10 minutes on the fourth floor in the physician lounge. We'll be more than happy to go ahead and have a show and tell there as well. Another shameless plug, by the way, and I don't know why all if you're here, yes, I am going to sponsor you, but you've got to sponsor me. Um, <clears throat> we've got great strides going on for cystic fibrosis over this next month. Um, I'll be sending you all out emails in the next little period of time. Um, but just remember fightcf.org, go to .blackman. Anyway, I thought that one of the things that you do when you get older is you go ahead and if you're really lucky, you get uh, you know, something named after you. So my, I, I, I coined this in all honesty. I don't think anybody else actually uses this in their talk. But um, the thing about airway clearance is that without airflow, you can't move mucus. Um, so all of the things that we're going to be talking about are physiologic, uh, physiologically sound ways to go ahead and incre increase airflow. Um, so the what we can do about that is we can go ahead and, and do things that will change the amount of expiratory pressure that's either pushing on the mucus that's in your airway or pulling on it. We can go ahead and change the degree of airway resistance that's there so that we can make it the airway open more. We can go ahead and try and brace the airway, and we can go ahead and try and improve if, if somebody doesn't have the elastic recoil to go ahead and pull or, put or make a strong cough, we can go ahead and provide that for them. So one of the things that I'd go ahead and say is that this is the reason why we don't use airway clearance in pneumonia because pneumonia is secretions that are down there in the alveoli, and air in the alveoli moves by diffusion. There isn't any airflow. You can't go ahead and get airflow down there. So again, with pneumonia, we don't use airway clearance because it doesn't go ahead and work. Uh, so the next thing is how do we go ahead and increase or improve airflow? How can we go ahead and get more air to go ahead and push uh, or get there when we've got, you know, we've already got this mucus that's sort of impeding the way we get air in or the way we get air out. How can we get more air inside? So one of the things to remember back, you know, from, you know, our, our uh, oh, physiology and, and our um, uh, uh, histology is that there are these collateral ventilation path pathways that we have within our airways. So between, so of course the main way is to go down the trachea and then through our bronchi and into our subsegmental bronchi, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we've got extra small airways that are still that are there as well. Well, they're these interbronchial channels of Martin. He was French. Bronchial alveolar ch channels of Lambert. He was also French. And the alveolar poles of Cone, who I think was German, but I'm not sure about that. But you can see how these extra connections are there. But remember, these airways. These connections are much, much smaller. So you're going to have, when you're breathing in and out, it's not going to go ahead. These aren't going to be major ways of getting air in or out unless you've got some plugging. If there's something that's blocking the airway, then you know, we've got some mucus down here. The air is going to go ahead and tend not to go down that hole. It's going to go ahead and be blocked. Depends on if you've got a full mucus plug, in which case you'll get some atelectasis behind here, or if you've got a partial mucus plug, where you will get as much uh, air into it. And this is basically called asynchronous ventilation. So that when you take a breath in, more air goes into the areas that are, well, that are healthier as opposed to the ones that have got more mucus plugging in. 
But with asynchronous ventilation, what we can do is we can go ahead and make it, take advantage of these extra collateral uh, channels. But how do we do that? The way we do that is we've got to go ahead and give more time. So the issue is, is if you're just breathing normally, or if you're breathing relatively quickly, again, the air is just going to go down the way that the easiest way for it to go down. But if you go ahead and breathe in and you hold your breath, that's going to go ahead and allow more time for the air to distribute and to get through these smaller sections and to go ahead and get behind the mucus. And that's really critically important because, again, remember, if you don't get air behind the mucus, you're not going to be able to have any flow across it or pushing it. So if you can't get air behind it, it's really problematic. So if you go ahead and put these breath, if you take a bigger breath in and you go ahead and hold your breath, it goes ahead and allows the air to go ahead and distribute better. Now, I would remind everybody that there's a Pokemon card for coughing, and cough is the main way that we go ahead and generally try and get rid of secretions and expectorate. <clears throat> but is there a different way? There's something called huffing. Huffing is a, is a general term. The, the technical term is a forced expiratory maneuver. Um, but you do this with an open glottis, um, and it's a little bit more gentle than a cough. Um, and it's also voluntary. So cough is something that's triggered because of your cough receptors. You know, yes, you can go ahead and, <clears throat> I've got a little bit of stuff back, back in my throat too. Um, you can go ahead and trigger one by yourself, but when you've got something down there and your cough receptors are going, you all know that basically you get into these coughing spells. And with these coughing spells, what can go ahead and happen is that you might not go ahead, you know, a lot of people will go ahead and cough and cough and cough but not necessarily be able to expectorate. And part of the reason for that is that the cough itself can go ahead and start to cause bronchospasm. The more you're coughing, the more trouble you end up having. Uh, and the other issue is that when you go ahead and cough, you're basically uh, oh, generally don't have a lot of control over the amount of pressure or force that you're generating. And if you happen to have uh, oh, unstable airways, floppy airways, airways that are tending to collapse down, a cough is going to potentially be somewhat counterproductive. So the other thing about a huff, and we're going to go ahead and talk about the equal pressure point in a second, is that again, because it's voluntary, you can go ahead, instead of like when you take, <coughs> when you take a big, when you take a cough, you, have, you don't really generally control the size of the breath you take or how strong you generate it. With a huff, you have more control over that. So what does that look like? So when you cough, if this is your, force, if this is your uh, oh, pulmonary function study and it shows you a forced expiratory maneuver, when you cough, you generate a flow transient where, you could, where flow is on the y-axis and volumes over here on the, the x, is that you generate a flow that is super maximal. This is, a, this is your maximal expiratory maneuver, and with a cough, you can generate a super maximal flow transient. This is the same picture of somebody who's doing a huff. Now, a huff, by the way, is something that we have all done. It's just that when we go ahead and talk about an airway clearance, we want to go ahead and make sure people are doing it correctly with an open glottis. But we've all done a huff, unless you actually had a fairly strange childhood. But when you go ahead and, when, when you, when you go ahead and make steam on a mirror, or go ahead and try and clean your glasses, and you go, you know what you used to do, and then you'd sort of dry, draw something on the mirror, um, that's a huff. You know, what you want to do, it, it shouldn't be tremendously forceful, but it's done with the glottis open and it goes ahead and generates a flow transient, a greater or a more maximal flow than you can generate if you're going to go ahead and try and force something out. And again, it's something that you can go ahead, you can decide, well, I'm going to take a really big breath in and then blow out hard. I'm going to take a small breath in and blow it out soft. So it's something that is under our control. So the, what I wanted to do was sort of talk, put those things together because now we're going to talk about the different types of airway clearance techniques that we've got. And we, put all, we, we go ahead, almost all of these airway clearance techniques go ahead and have <clears throat> those, those particular aspects added to them. But some of them we go ahead and we've got more technology, more gadgets. Some of them we're going to go ahead and talk about really only just require breathing uh, and different breathing variations. So oscillating PEP, PEP stands for positive expiratory pressure. So the theory behind oscillating PEP and this type of device, 
Um, they've been called, they're, they're called flutters, acapellas, aerobica. That tends to be the, the general names for the, for the oscillating peps that we are using currently. But what you do is you go ahead and you take a bigger breath in and you hold your breath for a few seconds. Two to three seconds is really max. But that goes ahead and again gets the air behind it. The positive expiratory pressure that you generate with these, de with these devices tends to go ahead and prevent dynamic airway collapse. But with these devices, what you're going to see in a few minutes is that that, that positive expiratory pressure is variable. And so the amount of collapse that goes ahead and prevents may go ahead and be somewhat problematic. The flow transients, these devices go ahead and again, the positive expiratory pressure builds up and then it drops down. And so it building up and making multiple flow transients right after each other. Think of them as being lots of mini coughs or mini huffs. Then you go ahead and because of those, that positive expiratory pressure, which is going ahead and vibrating, it may go ahead and dislodge or at least decrease some of the adherence of the secretions to the bronchial walls. And one of the things that we've studied looking at mucus uh, thickness or, or mucus rheology is that when you go ahead and subject it to something that is vibrating very quickly, the viscosity, the thickness of the mucus itself actually goes ahead and decreases. And that makes it easier to go ahead and bring something up. So this is what the devices look like. This is an acapella, this is an aerobica. What you can see in this picture is that you can also hook up respiratory therapy treatments, nebulizers to the back end of them. This is true for the aerobica. It's also true for the acapella. And this is what happens when you go ahead and you look at what, does, what do these devices do. So when you blow through them over here, it builds up a, a resistance within, and then that resistance is allowed to escape, and then it builds up again multiple times. And what you see here is that the, as you blow through, the, it's a superimposed again on a forced expiratory maneuver. You can see it behind there. But what you can see here is that as you blow through this device, it's making multiple flow transients one after the other. And, you can, and again, we're seeing that those flow transients are becoming super maximal. They are above the, uh, the, what the airflow that you can generate with an expiratory maneuver. So that you're generating more flow in these areas where the mucus is potentially pre uh, present. The important thing here to look at as well is that this is much more effective or that the benefit, one of the, the main benefits about most of our airway clearance techniques is that when we cough, most of what we're doing is we're clearing the larger airway. So when you've got, you've, you know, if you've gotten your mucus and it's in the trachea or maybe in the main stem bronchi when you cough or, or huff, that's where you're going to be getting rid of a lot of the mucus. But where the mucus plugs up and where you've got, where the mucus is going ahead and causing a problem is often in the smaller airways. So when you do this technique, you take a bigger breath in, you hold it for two to three seconds, and then you blow out and exhale. And the, the instruction should be to exhale to residual volume. You want to exhale all the way. The longer you blow out, the more it's going to go ahead and get these flow transients occurring in the smaller airways where you go, where you go ahead and have this mucus plugging. So the person goes ahead, takes a, bit, takes a breath in, holds it for a few seconds, and then exhales through this, and they do that several they do several cycles of that, and then they go ahead and do a huff or a cough to go ahead and clear the secretions that have become mobilized. So this is going to go ahead and you know when you think about what sort of pathology do we have, this is going to go ahead and be physiologically effective in disease states like cystic fibrosis. And again, most of the airway clearance therapies were primarily developed for CF because we've got a lot of secretions in mucus. And in all honesty, if you can move CF secretions in mucus, you can probably move any type of secretions or mucus. That is one of the downsides to a lot of our airway clearance science is that, again, we have some studies, but again, there are not necessarily uh, as many studies in non-CF uh, disease states than there are in disease states. But I'm going to, I've given you uh, a bibliography that includes a selection of some, but again, that sort of shows that, there's that we are looking at this scientifically to show benefit. So CF, bronchiectasis, obviously, again, part of cystic fibrosis disease, but bronchiectasis tends to be associated with secretion collection. Atelectasis, again, this tends to be sometimes even strong, harder to go ahead and do because with atelectasis, your theory, you've got really pretty much almost complete mucus plugging. Um, and so you've got to get the air behind it. But again, with this type of concept, the breath hold, the vibration, you're going to go ahead and studies have shown that it goes ahead and is beneficial. 
And in actual fact, with asthma, now most asthmatics actually don't really need to have any airway clearance uh, procedures done, as asthma is a bronchospastic disease. But about 10% of asthmatics do tend to be hypersecretors. And when you go ahead and you've got an asthmatic who's got either uh, a desaturation or squeaks and pops when you listen to them, uh, or perhaps a, even a, a little bit of a junky cough, those are the types of asthmatics where you're going to go ahead and potentially need to use some airway clearance. And again, uh, PEP, oscillating PEP here, has been studied in this population, and it does go ahead and tend to cut down on that degree of mucus plugging. You can use it in, about, in, you, in people who are about three to four years of age, um, basically by going ahead and, and having kids blow on pinwheels uh, to start with, or they can go ahead and blow on cotton balls. But the trick is to go ahead and have them practice taking a big breath in and then blowing for a long time first before you go ahead and throw this little gadget device in their face. But they can go ahead and do it. Most of the time they can do it if you're doing it as, uh, if you're playing with them as a parent or as a therapist, you can go ahead and potentially at a four-year-old age range get them to do it, three-year-old if they're bright or if they've got a sibling who's already been doing it. It is a little bit more problematic with dynamic airway collapse because, again, Although we've got positive expiratory pressure that's going on down here, that positive expiratory pressure does go ahead and escape and then build up and escape and build up. And you can see that there is actually a little bit of some negative flow on this side. So again, depending upon the degree of dynamic airway collapse, isn't going to be maybe the first one that I would go ahead and choose. And again, you've got to go ahead and generate significant air flow. So if you've got neuromuscular disease uh, or if you're trached or ventilated, these devices don't really adapt to that type of thing. So what about high-frequency chest wall oscillation, otherwise known as the VEST? Um, it's probably one of the things that we use most commonly in, in, uh, uh, in the hospital and also as outpatient. So with the VEST, what happens is, is that <clears throat> because it's vibrating, you see in a section it actually goes ahead and um, the way it's designed, it increases asymmetric airflow bias. So what does that mean? Air flows out faster or stronger when, uh, when you're exhaling than when you're inhaling. So again, the idea is, is that you push more than you pull. You push more than you pull, so you're going to eventually push the stuff into the central airways where they'll be able to cough them out. It also goes ahead and increases the expiratory shear forces. So because of the speed with which it's vibrating and floats going on, you've got basically more, uh, a, more, a greater shear velocity. Think about it as when you think about water that's uh, about wind that's blowing over uh, a, uh, some, uh, a pool of water or a body of water, the stronger or the faster that, that air is blowing, the more the, the mucus is moving in that direction. Again, you get this, this mechanical dislodgement that's occurring from these flow transients and vibration. With the vest, you can go ahead and change the frequency with which it's vibrating. And theoretically, there are, again, there are the, each of the airways has its own particular uh, oscillatory frequency where you hit it, it's going to go ahead and vibrate even greater. The cilia that line the airways, these are the, it's hypothesized that, again, when you change the frequency, the cilia are going to be better. And again, as this is very high-frequency uh, high oscillation, it's going to go ahead and decrease viscosity of secretions. So in this particular picture here, you see that basically when a person is inhaling, there is uh, a traction on the airway so that the actual airway gets marginally a little bit bigger uh, so that the flow of the air that's moving in, because it's a bigger tube, that flow is a little bit smaller. So that volume of air moves in, then you start to exhale. When you exhale, the, the airways all go ahead and are marginally compressed. That's assuming that there's not uh, dynamic collapse or something else, but just in a normal person, there's a little bit of uh, decrease, a difference in the, the uh, diameter. And so that same volume of air, to get that same volume of air out that you got in, the flow of the air has got to go ahead and be faster to go ahead and get that same volume out. And we can go ahead by changing the vest, we can go ahead and change the frequencies and we can change the pressure with which that vest is actually beating. And so what you see here is the volume of air that we're vibrating. And what happens is, is that over here um, in parentheses is the pressure. But take a look, is that when you are using lower frequencies, the volume of air, so the frequency is 10, 15, and 20. The lower the, the, lower the frequency, the bigger the oscillation of air that you're moving for any particular, uh, for, uh, for any particular pressure setting. So I can go ahead and move more air by increasing the pressure up, but when I use a slower frequency, I'm also vibrating or moving more air. 
Now that might be good, that, that is helpful for us again in terms of somebody who might have atelectasis or where there's plugs, we want to go ahead and try and move more air, sort of have these oscillating pulses be stronger for want of a better word. But the other thing to realize is that again, higher frequencies do go ahead and improve the actual flow itself. So the y-axis here is not volume but is flow and this is exactly the same. We see that as the frequencies go up for any, for any given pressure, is that you, re you do see the flows go up as you go ahead and go up on the frequencies. You reach a, um, a, a point where you go ahead and go too high. But you can go ahead and see that by changing the pressures and the frequency, we can enhance the flow, which as I said before is critical for trying to go ahead and create, uh, move the secretions in the directions we want them to move. And we can go ahead and give a bigger or smaller thump by changing the amount, uh, by going to lower frequencies. So, you know, this does work. Um, sorry, this is in the morning, but this is what we, this is. A, you can see we're vibrating. This is a bronchoscopy of somebody who's wearing the vest. It's going real fast, and it's definitely going ahead. And uh, you see the mucus and the secretions coming up to you. Hope you didn't have breakfast. This is the wrong study. This is the wrong one for that. Wrong, pro, wrong presentation. So again, as I said, lower oscillation frequencies tend to move larger volumes of air. Higher frequencies produce higher flow rates. So that goes ahead and helps us when we're looking at what sort of pathologies it's going to go ahead and be best in. How do we adapt it? So again, primarily is produced first, uh, developed first for cystic fibrosis and works for bronchiectasis. Studies also show a benefit for atelectasis. It's been looked at in people who have, again, asthma where you need to move secretions. It does not cause increased bronchospasm. And again, uh, because of that increased expiratory flow, it should go ahead and improve some of the mucus plugging as well. It's been used in patients who, are, who have neuromuscular disease, trach, and obviously ventilated. I wouldn't use it in somebody who's got dynamic airway collapse. Um, the important thing here about, this, about these techniques is that, again, it's still important, and when the therapist teaches them, it's still important for the person to take a bigger breath in, hold that breath for two to three seconds to get air behind the mucus. The other thing that's important about the vest is that it goes ahead and loosens secretions, but you need to still cough or huff them out. So part of the technique with the vest, if it's done properly, is that the instruction to the family is that you need to stop it every five minutes to go ahead and actively expectorate and get rid of the secretions that have been mobilized. So I want to get back to the equal pressure point because we're going to go ahead and use it. We, you know, we're using it with this huff, and I've already sort of said with the huff, you've got more control over um, how, you're, how you're coughing and how you're moving secretions. So what is the equal pressure point? The equal pressure point is the point where the pressure within the airway is equal to the pressure outside the airway. So you take a breath in, you start to exhale. As you start to exhale, the pressure uh, you, you generate, uh, let's, we'll go ahead and say, for example, in this picture, 10 centimeters of pressure. And so, the pre so as you're exhaling, the air is escaping, the air is coming out, and as the air is coming out, the pressure is dropping down your airway, and you get to a point where everything's equal. And past that, the pressure within the airway is perhaps a little bit is less than the pressure outside the airway. So there's going to be a tendency to collapse this to, for, the, for the airway to be uh, pushed in and to become even more narrow. And that's the equal pressure, the, the, just beyond the equal pressure point that goes ahead and occurs. Now when that happens, you do get flow limitation. But the other thing that happens here is that if you think about it, um, when you've got something, why, why is this important? When you've got something that's moving through a more narrowed section, think about um, you know, the traffic on um, I-84, it's worse than I-91. Um, so if you've got traffic going through I-84 and we start to go ahead and the number of lanes starts to decrease, we start to go ahead and get flow limitation. The only way, but what, what you do go ahead and hope for, is that the person who is in front of you is going to start to speed up as the number of lanes starts to get smaller, even though you're getting blocked. If you go ahead and you start to have some speeding up, you can go ahead and move more people through. And that's what happens when you get to this equal pressure point, is that although the flow is limited, you see an increase in shear velocity. And that's, so at the equal pressure point, there's turbulence and there's an increased velocity that goes ahead and tends to, again, move or shear secretions that might be on the, on the wall. So if the equal pressure point was fixed, that wouldn't be tremendously helpful. 
but the equal pressure point's not fixed. You can change where it goes ahead and occurs. So if you take a look here, and we're going to go from bottom up, um, when you take a big, if you go ahead and take a big breath in, and you start to exhale with a certain amount of pressure, well, as you exhale, it's going to take longer for that equal pressure point to occur, and it's going to go ahead and occur, therefore, in a more proximal, a larger airway. But if you take in a smaller breath, so there's less pressure within your airway, and then you exhale with the same degree of force, that equal pressure point occurs a little bit more distally. And if you take a really small breath, the equal pressure point is now occurring in a much more distal location. And so the key here is, again, thinking about when we were using that oscillatory PEP thing, we wanted the person to exhale all the way out into the small airways so we could go ahead and enhance airflow into those smaller airways, into the airways where we're not generally going ahead and coughing or clearing the large mucus, mucus plugs. We want to get rid of the ones that are, all, that are out there further, that are plugging things up. So by changing how big a breath we take, we can move where this equal pressure point is. By moving where the equal pressure point is, we can go ahead and theoretically enhance the linear velocity, the degree, of, the degree of shear force that's occurring in those smaller airways. Is this theory? Does it work in practice? Why is it important? So this video goes ahead and is a bronchogram. You're going to go ahead and see somebody who's got dynamic airway collapse who's coughing. And when they cough, demonstrates oops. dynamic collapse associated with coughing in an unstable airway. Okay, let's get rid of that voice. It's really bugging me. Um, but, so when you go ahead and you cough, you can see that the, the, the degree of, of uh, contrast gets squeezed down to almost a pencil-thin area. Because this person's got malacia, or has got a uh, it may not be completely malacic, but, he, but when he coughs, there's too much pressure on that airway and it's collapsing down. So this gets back to what I was saying before, is the huff is something that you can go ahead and do. It doesn't necessarily need to be as strong as a cough, and it could go ahead and move where that equal pressure point is. So how do we use this? Um, it's used in two different airway clearance techniques, generally speaking. Um, although the huff we can go ahead and use in just about anything, but it's very focused in autogenic drainage and active cycle breathing. I'm not going to talk about active cycle breathing because it's just not enough time, but autogenic drainage was actually developed um, at, uh, at first for somebody, for people who have asthma, although in all honesty when I went through and I tried to find actual little studies, um, it, there are very few studies that, should, that have used it in, in asthma, but it was developed for asthmatics. And the idea here is that you go ahead and use controlled breathing to attain the highest possible airflow in different bronchial generations. And by doing that, you're also you're breathing more gently and you're going ahead and trying to balance that, that maximal expiratory airflow against dynamic collapse of unstable airways. Because as, as you move further out into, your, into the airways themselves, the trachea and the bronchi, they have cartilage in them to go ahead and prevent the airways from, from collapsing. Now, if you go ahead and you bang on them enough, if you cough badly enough, or if you've got uh, oh, uh, oh, tracheomalacia, bronchomalacia, they're going to collapse anyway. But if, you, but if you go ahead and are coughing severely, you can still go ahead and acquire malacia or acquire dynamic collapse. As you move into the smaller airways, though, into the subsegmental bronchi, there's not that cartilage there. So when you cough, there is going to be, tend to be more of a tendency for those airways to go ahead and be pushed in and compressed somewhat on themselves. So if you go ahead and you can go ahead, you want to balance that expiratory flow that you're generating against the degree of the, of the airways falling in on themselves. So how do you do autogenic drainage? Does it work? And what I would, this, you're going to see this again in a second, but um, if, you, if you sort of look at this sort of, uh, this is volume on the, on, again, on the y-axis, and when you're taking a breath in, let's go ahead and say this distance from top to bottom to these two, between these two lines is your tidal volume. So if you're just breathing normally, that's your tidal volume, and that's the amount of air that you would breathe in and breathe out, the amount of volume you'd breathe in and breathe out. If you took a bigger breath in, it would be into the inspiratory reserve volume. If you blew out further, it'd be into the expiratory reserve volume. If you were to go ahead and take a breath in and do a breath hold, it would kind of look like this. You take a breath in, hold it for a few seconds so there wouldn't be any flow, there wouldn't, your volume wouldn't change, but you'd be going to hold your breath. So that's what we do, go ahead and again, talking about that collateral ventilation, trying to get air behind the mucus. 
So what happens with autogenic drainage is, again, the idea is to move that equal pressure point. So you take a breath in and you breathe out into the expiratory reserve volume. So you've now gone ahead and you've moved lower into a lower, a lower volume. You're into a smaller airway. If you breathe out, you're into a smaller airway. Then you do your breathing, you do a breath, you breathe in, you, breathe, you hold your breath for a few, two to three seconds, then you breathe out. Breathe in, hold your breath for two to three seconds, breathe out. And the size of the breath that you're taking here, this arrow is the same, the same size as this arrow, so you're just taking a normal breath in and a normal breath out, so your ventilation is staying the same, it's just that it's in a slightly weirder place. It's in a place where you're not used to breathing. So I want everybody to do this right now. I want you all to go ahead. We usually go ahead and I'll usually, you know, most of the people are teaching this, and I do it too. So I'll tell you to put a, a hand on your chest, maybe on your abdomen, to go ahead and get a sense. I want you all to breathe normally. And as soon as I say breathe normally, everybody's like, I, got, I, I, I don't, it's like I'm not used to that, because it's all subconscious. But I want you to breathe normally and feel how, this, where your hands are moving to give you a rough idea of what your normal sized breath is, proprioceptively. So that is just a normal breath. Now I want you to take a bigger breath in and blow it out further. And then when you finish blowing it out further, take a normal breath in and hold it for just a few seconds. So I'm going to demonstrate here. I'm going to... Don't inhale all the way back in. Breathe down in that lower lung, in that lower lung volume. It feels weird. You're still taking the same size breath, but you're, active, but you're going to have to do this actively. Your body is going to go ahead and try and sort of re return to homeostasis, but we want to go ahead and keep that down in these lower airways to maximize airflow. <coughs> so does this go, and, and you can see, I'm sorry, I didn't finish it up, but we go ahead after you've done that for a period of time, then we take in a somewhat larger breath in to move into a slightly bigger airway, and we keep on doing that as we're mobilizing secretions. Does it work? Again, when you take a look at, um, uh, this is, sorry, it's backwards, but this is again a, a maximal flow expiratory man maneuver. And this is a person who's just breathing normally. And if you go ahead and you take a regular tidal volume breath and you breathe down into these lower volumes, what you can do is generate higher air flows than you could than if you were trying to push that air out. Does it work? You go ahead and take this, this is the same patient that we looked at before, and they're doing autogenic drainage now. And what you can see is this area that had that dynamic airway collapse before is not collapsing down because the person's not coughing on it as hard. And so they're able to go ahead and move this contrast material further up into the more proximal regions. So it does work when we look at it that way. This is, I think, one of the more, this is one of my favorites. So we're going to look at somebody doing this, hopefully. Used in any position, but is generally taught in sitting. <clears throat> Sit in a comfortable, well-supported chair with the neck and shoulders relaxed. As this technique requires an open glottis, expiration should initially be taught with the mouth open, which enhances auditory feedback. Some patients may find it beneficial to use a piece of wide bore tubing placed at least three centimeters into the mouth to assist with the opening of the glottis. Breathe out with the glottis open, down into respiratory reserve volume. Once breathing out through the mouth has been mastered, more experienced patients will progress to breathing out through the nose with the glottis open. Starting with low volume breaths from expiratory reserve volume, breathe in slowly, hold the breath for two to three seconds, then breathe out until secretions are felt or heard gathering in the airways. This may take a number of breaths. It may be beneficial for the therapist or patient to use proprioceptive feedback by placing their hands on the abdomen to ensure low volume breaths. During the three stages of the technique, the hand will follow the level of the breathing. The expiratory force must be controlled in such a way that the expiratory airflow reaches the highest possible velocity without causing early airway compression. Patients with dynamic airway collapse may only need to breathe out with a relaxed sigh. Patients with more stable airways may need increased expiratory flow. 
Once the sputum is heard crackling at low volume breasts during the last part of each expiration, move to larger tidal volume breasts, continuing to breathe in slowly until the sputum is heard or felt to collect. So the point here is that you, know, you can see, you can hear, well, you'll see in a second if she coughs it up, but you can hear that this is just by breathing, by changing how she's breathing. Okay, we're going to finish that. So you can see that just by breathing, she's going ahead and um, being able to mobilize secretions in those smaller airways. It's not requiring any fancy sort of equipment or anything else like that. It is, go, it is going to go ahead and be effective, um, but it does go ahead and it's, it's sort of uh, a very difficult, it's, it's somewhat difficult to teach because you've got to get used to doing it. It requires fairly good instruction and it requires feedback on that. So again, I wouldn't do it in somebody who is younger than 11 or 12 years of age. As I said before, it's very good for dynamic collapse. It was, uh, although it was made first for asthma, um, cystic fibrosis patients primarily uh, in Europe and uh, oh, the UK, which is not, I guess, Europe anymore, um, and Australia are doing it more frequently. Um, but it's very effective that way. It's effective for bronchiectasis. Um, you know, again, it does involve, a, it, it does include a breath hold, so it could possibly be a, helpful for atelectasis, but I think there's probably other techniques I might go ahead and use unless the person themselves had atelectasis and dynamic airway collapse. Again, uh, you know, it just depends on what else is present. Obviously, it's not really adaptable for someone who's trached or ventilated or who has developmental delay or those types of things. So, we're going to move into the to a, a different type of technique. Uh, we talked about oscillating PEP before. I separated it on purpose. Again, oscillating PEP and high-frequency chest wall oscillation, those are kind of similar. Positive expiratory pressure is, doesn't have any oscillation associated with it at all. This is a busy slide. I'm just going to go through it relatively quickly. But again, when you're breathing against positive expiratory pressure, you go ahead and you're providing end expiratory pressure, which is going to go ahead and uh, oh, potentially provide uh, a somewhat of an increase in the diameter of the airway, therefore decreasing the resistance of the air, airway, therefore improving the airflow. The other thing that happens when you're breathing against a positive expiratory resistor is it generally takes different amounts of time to, take a, to breathe it all out. And when you're doing this technique, you're still doing the breath hold, so it's taking more time to breathe it in. So again, we're going ahead and working on that asynchronous ventilation, trying to go ahead and maximize flow by, by modulating those particular variables. Obviously, if there is an airway that's going to be tending to collapse or fall on itself, if you've got end expiratory pressure that's being uh, provided, it's going to be less. It's going to provide some stinting and less collapse going on that way. And then, because of the fact that we've got this increased airflow and we've gone ahead and used this collateral ventilation, there'll be greater pressure gradients across the plug that'll either push or pull it in the correct direction. And the other thing that's happening is that with this extra pressure, you've also got this sort of outward pull on the alveoli, which again. Although it's not going to necessarily get air, any greater air down to the alveoli, it's definitely going to go ahead and potentially uh, provide traction and, and potentially get more air behind mucus plugs. This is potentially very helpful, uh, better technique perhaps for some of our atelectatic patients. It's done in the sitting position. You go ahead, the therapist will determine which sort of resistor you need, but we want to go ahead and generate mostly between 10 to 20 centimeters of pressure. The device has a, 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 a manometer on it that you can take a look at. Um, and that wants to, you want that to be sort of in the middle of breathing out. And you want to sort of breathe pretty much just again, a regular breath, maybe slightly a little bit more forceful, but mostly just a regular tidal volume breath. And then after you've used the device for, about, uh, uh, for a few cycles, you're going to go ahead and want to cough or huff for the secretions that have been mobilized that way. This is what one of the PEP devices looks like. It's an older one, but it's got a mask on it, which is important because I wanted to point out that you can use this technique in an infant or a toddler. So this is one of the, you know, uh, in general, postural drainage and percussion, chest PT is really the one that sort of started the whole game rolling. And if you're, a postural, if you're an infant or a toddler, it's kind of hard to get them to do many of these others. This is used in, uh, again, Scandinavian countries use this in babies. Um, we've used it in babies as well. By putting in these different size resistors into the expiratory port, you can go ahead and change the degree of resistance. 
This just shows the person using it. is divided into three phases. About 10 to 15 cycles of calm inspiration and expiration with the correct resistance. About three to five actively accelerated expirations. Or in other words, a half. And if necessary, expectoration. A three-phase sequence of this kind should be performed at least five times. This so again, about five times, then you might go ahead and take a little break and then do it again. Almost all of our breathing treatments, uh, our airway clearance treatments, if you're doing them correctly, are going to take at least 15, sometimes 20 minutes to go ahead and perform. None of them are, very, are faster than, than others. Now the positive expiratory pressure device actually is one of the ones that has had the most amount of uh, oh, scientific evaluation done on it. Um, and it was uh, hard to sort of spare it pull the bibliography down. But again, it's been looked at in cystic fibrosis, atelectasis, bronchiectasis, uh, dynamic airway collapse. It's uh, in asthma, one of the uh, more interesting studies, I don't know if any of the, yeah, some of the PICU people are here, um, are that you know, when you look at do it delivering uh, heliox and bronchodilators via, the, via PEP, um, you get better uh, deposition than you do uh, just with regular heliox or regular uh, nebulizer therapy. So again, a little bit counter counterintuitive because you kind of think of, well, if I've got somebody who's got asthma, you know, do I want to go ahead and be putting in some end expiratory <laughs> pressure where there might be more gas trapping um, that's going on, but in actual fact we see better uh, oh, deposition and the gas trapping actually does not go ahead and accumulate um, in this or in uh, many of the other airway clearance techniques that we've been <coughs> that we've gone ahead and developed. Um, as I said, it can be used in infants and toddlers. Um, it's not necessarily adaptable to trach or ventilated patients. We're already providing CPAP or PEEP to them in different ways. So I'm going to go ahead and close now with just a few other sort of quick comments. I mentioned postural drainage and percussion. Um, the uh, don't go yet. Um, anyway, the chest PT, chest PT is, was the original airway clearance device or d technique. Um, and so when people talk about chest PT, that is really referring to postural drainage and percussion, laying in certain positions and then getting manual percussion. That has been, there's actually really very, very few studies that go ahead and have uh, scientifically evaluated it, but we all sort of intuitively feel that it's beneficial. Um, and again, the, the concept here is that, you know, if uh, there's been more scientific evidence looking at these newer devices than there have been on postural drainage and percussion. Exercise is one of the things that helps to significantly improve airway clearance as well. You're taking bigger breaths in, you're taking more forceful breaths out. Scientific evaluation of, of exercise has gone ahead and showed improved secretion clearance when you go ahead and add exercise in to the, uh, to the treatments. Um, then there's IPV. So IPV is intrapulmonary percussive ventilation. Oh, there is such a thing, by the way, as too much prostrate drainage. Uh, this was a study that was published about bilateral pneumothoraces with a bungee jump. So again, too much postural drainage in the wrong direction. So you can do too much. Um, so IPV is somewhat similar to the, to the, the vest. Um, it's somewhat similar to high-frequency oscillation. It is high-frequency oscillation, but it's breathe, you're breathing in through a mouthpiece or a mask as opposed to an endotracheal tube. So you've got this high-frequency oscillation that, you're, that you are uh, oh, delivering both during inhalation and exhalation. So all the other techniques that we've been talking about have primarily been de uh, delivering this oscillation uh, oh, mostly during exhalation. You're not getting any extra pressure. When you do the vest, yes, you are going ahead and getting vibration during inhalation as well, but it's not necessarily providing any extra positive pressure. But with the IPV, you are, and you go ahead and again see this asymmetric expiratory flow bias that we talked about with the vest. The difference with the IPV is that you've also got this kind of inspiratory pressure, this sort of wedge pressure that is um, j taking these tiny, tiny little bursts of air to go ahead and get behind the mucus that's within the bronchus. Again, the, con the, the idea here would be, well, won't that go ahead and predispose someone to, going, to getting more gas trapping? But these, these little uh, bursts of air are so small and so fast that in actual fact, just very tiny amounts get past 
or through the mucus plug, it doesn't go ahead and cause a significant degree of hyperinflation. Um, and you go ahead and you get enough air behind the mucus to, helpful, to, to make it helpful to push it back out. Again, all the other things we talked about, oscillation of the airways may cause it to, to come off, mucus to come off of the airway. Um, the high frequency oscillation decreases the viscosity of the secretions. And you go ahead and you see the secretions being basically pushed into the more central airways based on these oscillations. IPV has been studied and physiologically it's very, it's been effective and I've starred neuromuscular disease. This is, you know, uh, again, the best has been looked at in neuromuscular disease, but theoretically from a physiologic standpoint, if you can't take in a big breath, the IPV is going to go ahead and be an even better technique for you than the vest will be for, the, for neuromuscular disease. It's going to be better than most of the other ones that we're using because it helps that. Cystic fibrosis, atelectasis, again, studies have looked at in, the, in both of these disease states, bronchiectasis, and asthma. Uh, it can be developed, it's obviously something that you can go ahead and put on top of uh, a ventilation if a person is already getting it, and it can be put easily onto a tray. So it's a good device. The only problem with IPV is that it's not approved as an outpatient device. So you can't, it, it takes a small act of God to go ahead and get the, uh, the device for outpatients. It is possible, um, but not necessarily easy. Um, this goes ahead and again shows the picture of what this looks like. So again, here during exhalation, you see the, the flow transients that are occurring. Those flow transients occur even during <coughs> inhalation. And then they're just, they're basically occurring throughout the cycle. And what ends up happening with these flow transients is that you go ahead and you see that there is a gradual, because again, these are very small bursts, you see a gradual increase in the amount of uh, oh, constant pressure that's developed. So you may develop maybe probably about uh, maybe seven centimeters of end expiratory pressure with this constant oscillation. You do see a maximal pressure of approximately 40 to 45 centimeters, depending upon how you set it. Um, so again, this device goes ahead and provides a sort of constant sort of uh, these constant flow transients that are occurring both inhalation and exhalation. What else can we do to go ahead and enhance airflow, especially in somebody who doesn't have the ability to go ahead and cough? And then there's a, for that we have the inexhalator. The inexhalator um, is something that goes ahead and gives you a positive pressure breath in, it closes off a valve, and then it pulls the air back out. It's essentially an artificial cough. We take a breath in, we close our glottis for a second, we build up pressure behind it, <coughs> we cough out. So the inexhalator is an artificial cough device. Um, we can go ahead and change how much pressure it's delivering, but we can, we can make it equivalent, very equivalent to what we can generate with a regular cough. And so this is, what we would, this is very effective in somebody who doesn't have elastic recoil because of their neuromuscular disease. They're not able to go ahead and take a big breath in or to make a strong cough out. You wouldn't go ahead and use this in somebody who does have a decent cough, but you can go ahead and uh, deliver it via a mask or via a mouthpiece. And you see here what ends up happening is the person take, this is the breath being pushed in. There's a few sec microseconds where it, the valve is closed and then the air is sucked back out. So we've got this cough assist device for people who can't cough. So the last things I would go ahead and say is that when you're going ahead and choosing an airway clearance technique, I talked to, you know, there's these various different physiologic things that we're using to go ahead and enhance airflow and to try and fix, uh, oh, uh, overcome uh, different disease problems. The issue is, is that most of our patients don't have just one problem. They go ahead and they've got uh, mucus plugging and bronchospasm. They've got atelectasis and something else going on. So there is, when you look at these different techniques, there isn't one technique that is probably going to go ahead and be best for everybody. In fact, the one thing I'd go ahead and say is that the best technique that you can go ahead and find for someone is the one that they're willing to do most consistently. So physiologically, I may have the greatest thing, the best thing since sliced bread, but if I can't talk to family or some, if it's too onerous and the family's not going to do it, then I'm better off going with the airway technique that they are going to go ahead and do rather than the one that's sort of most physiologically effective. The other thing that all of our studies go ahead and show when we've looked at comparative airway clearance techniques is again, there are very few head-to-heads that, that have ever shown a significant difference between the two. 
I would say that most of the studies that have looked at that of PAP positive expiratory pressure tend to go ahead and show it to be a little sometimes more beneficial. There was one study that looked at it compared to the vest and cystic fibrosis patients, and it was there was less infection and less uh, and uh, better pulmonary functions. But in general, all the studies that we've gone ahead and looked at don't go ahead and point one as being more superior to the other. But if you can't get your patient to do it, they aren't going to. Now, in your handout, in addition to the bibliography, is this table that I put together. And again, what, uh, this is sort of, uh, again, uh, one of the, something I just sort of did uh, you know, in my spare time. It's not published or anything. Um, but what I did was I sort of put down my own opinion and my own thoughts about um, how old a person might be to go ahead and be able to use these different techniques. And uh, also based on their physiology or based on uh, what, has already, what the scientific studies have gone ahead and shown, whether it would go ahead and be helpful or not. If I've, got the, if I've got something bold, it means that it's probably a preferential technique. But you can see here that, you know, again, in, uh, for this example, the positive expiratory pressure, I'm saying, yes, from a physiologic standpoint, it should go ahead and work on atelectasis. There probably aren't that many studies that have looked at it, but again, physiologically, I'm sort of saying, yes, I'd go ahead and use it. And you can go ahead and see, again, who might, you, whether you can go ahead and give breathing treatments at the same time, where you've got to go ahead and lay down or not lay down, that's only postural drainage and percussion. Equipment, uh, some are obviously breathing techniques only, some are equipment-based. From a cost standpoint, the vest and the IPV are extremely expensive. The vest is like $14,000, IPV is a bargain at about eight. Um, so again, some of these things are more expensive than others. Um, PEP and, auto and oscillating PEP are more like about between $100 to $200. And again, as I said before, doing autogenic drainage is going to be kind of hard to learn how to do, so some things are easier to do than others. So I'd just like to go ahead and again say that there's no ideal technique for everything. Scientific evaluation, almost all of these have got scientific studies. The selection criteria, you've got to check and see what, how bad a person is and what type of lung disease they've got. Think about what's going to work best for them. And so that's, uh, I think, the, the take-home message. Um, lastly, um, again, uh, I'll be taking donations uh, and uh, thank you all for your attention. <laughs>